This morning we will believe, unless we have some sort of curveball, we're going to finish Romans 10. Um, and so if you could look into a copy of God's Word with me, we're going to be in verses 16 through 21. Will you hear the word of the Lord from Romans 10? But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the earth. But I ask, Did Israel not understand? First Moses said, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. We've all seen, maybe you've seen the publisher's clearinghouse commercials, right? Where they go to somebody's door, they knock on the door, and they inform the person that they've just won $5 million, and uh, the person goes ballistic, right? Everybody's jumping around, happy, joyful, just won $5 million. Wonderful news, good news, right? I mean, uh, this, is, this is the way to respond, I would say, to good news. Jumping around, hitting each other, uh, headbutting and knocking each other out, having a great time. We just won $5 million, right? But what about if, if they showed one of those commercials and they knock on the door and, and, and they tell this guy, hey man, uh, just want you to know, Publisher Clearinghouse, here's the verified check, you've won $5 million. And then he grabs his gun and responds, if you don't get off my porch, I'm going to blow your brains out. What? And they said, no, 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 wait, wait, this is real. This is verified check, five million. I'm not going to say it again off my porch, right? Now, that would be strange, right? And, and it seems a very odd way to respond to some good news. And yet, really, uh, that is basically the contrast that we see between verses 15 and 16 in Romans chapter 10 here, right? Let's just remind ourselves what we saw uh, when we were in uh, Romans 10, 15. It says this, as it is written... How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So reminded again, the gospel means good news. So it is good news, and the feet of those who preach it, again, that word beautiful there really uh, could be translated how timely, how timely, how timely is good news, really is what that's saying. How time, it's, it's, can I ask you, when is a good time for you to hear the news that you've won $5 million? Anytime right? Anytime is a good time, right? That, 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 that news is timely. It's always good news. And that's exactly what the gospel is. It is always good news. I mean, think about it. If we're, if we're hearing this good news, and it's a good time for me anytime to hear that I've won $5 million, how much better is the good news that God has made a way to justify undeserving sinners through the perfect word of Jesus, right? Uh, and all we have to do is receive and believe it, I mean, that is the greatest news. And and the response should be to believe it and rejoice. That should be it. But in verse 16, we read this. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who will believe and who has believed what he has heard from us? And so again, this idea that 
you may have it. You may have family and friends. Man, you may have family, friends, coworkers that you have shared the good news of Christ with. And they respond either in anger or worse, apathy. Man, I could take the anger. I would almost rather, when I tell somebody about Jesus, I tell you, know, we go over the gospel, I'd rather at least see anger. At least that, that means it hurt something. Right? It, it affected them somehow. But this apathetic approach, like you didn't even say anything, ugh. but you may have that. I mean, you may, you, you, I know you have. You've seen people where you give the good news, they've heard the news of the gospel, and they apathetically walk away, or they just could care less. They, they respond strangely, like, get off my porch, I'm going to blow your brains out, or whatever, right? Strange, we would think as believers. And yet, Paul once more reiterates, before he asks some questions about this strange behavior, before he asks some questions, he is going to reiterate again, uh, what it means to be justified before asking them, his brothers and sisters in Judaism, some questions. Now, Romans 10, 17, he says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So he reminds right in the middle of this, hey, this is how we are justified, through Christ, believing, right? He, he just did the whole thing two weeks ago. We saw it. He says, how can they call on him? and whom they've not believed, and how can they believe in him whom they've not heard, and how will they hear without a preacher, and how can they preach unless they've been sent? So we saw that whole scenario, that whole line of reasoning. So basically, he's reminding them here that we're saved by putting our faith and our belief in a message about Christ. And that's what it means there, by the way. so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. What does it mean, the word of Christ? We don't literally hear Jesus speaking to us, and it's not just talking about the red letters of the New Testament, the red letter edition of Jesus' words. It literally could be saying this. We believe, when we're saved, genuinely saved by God's grace, it means that we have believed the words about Christ, words concerning Christ, the truth about who he is, who we are, what he did for us, and we believe that. We believe that wholeheartedly. That's what it means to believe the gospel. And so again, bottom line, I mean, when you hear the best news, he say, I think he's just befuddled and he's brokenhearted about his people, but he says, here's the idea. When you hear the best news in the world, I mean, news that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you, Believe it with joy, right? But the majority of Jews had not. They had not obeyed the gospel. That means believe the gospel, submitted to the gospel. They showed that they could care less. They have no need, they think, for the gospel. So, so in verse 18, Paul asked some questions. He's got two questions for him, and then an accusation. But two questions. He says, verse 18... But I ask, I ask you, have they not heard? Is that the problem? Because, again, humanly speaking, for those of us who know Jesus, to think that somebody could hear that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again for them, and if they will believe on him, they will have forgiveness of sin and eternity with Christ. You think they would say yes. Obviously, that's not the case. So Paul's thinking, okay, maybe they haven't heard. (laughs) Maybe that's the deal. Have they not heard? But he doesn't even give a chance to answer before he jumps in. Here's what he says, verse 18. Indeed, they have. They have heard. 
Look what he, he quotes here. For their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Now, interestingly enough, Paul is quoting here from Psalm 19, which is a reference to general revelation, not specific special revelation of the word of God. He's, ta- he's using, as this example of the word and the truth of the gospel going out into all the world, general revelation. I want to read that, that psalm for us. It's such a powerful uh, testament to, to the, the glory of God going out into all the world. Verse 1 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Sounds familiar. We're going to read Romans 1, 19 in a moment, but look at this. But look how, look how the psalmist explains this. Day to day pours out speech. Get this. General revelation of creation. The heavens declaring the glory of God, proclaiming the handiwork of God. But what does he say about that? Day to day it pours out speech. And night to night reveals knowledge. There's, there is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard Their voice goes out throughout all the earth and their words to the end of the world. So man, the the psalmist likens the very creation to preachers preaching the truth of who God is. And and it's very telling when you look at Romans 1, 19 and 20, Paul does the same thing, literally saying, because of that preacher, what preacher? Nature itself, the very creation the very heavens and the earth, the very wind that blows across the plains, the mighty oaks and the oceans and the rivers and every living thing, everything that God has made is preaching the glory of God and telling men, repent and submit to him, seek him, long for him. That's the sermon of the universe. And Paul uses that in Romans to literally say that it is so authoritative we sometimes give general revelation like a second grade and say, okay, it's only the special revelation. That's gonna, but, but Paul's saying here, general revelation is so specific and so authoritative that if you do not listen to it, you have no excuse and you're under the wrath of God. He says in verse 19 of Romans 1, for what can be known about God? And this is a huge statement. What For everything that can be known about God, what can be known about God is plain to them. Why? How? Because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived even since the creation of the world. How? In the things that have been made. Well, how authoritative is that witness? So they are without excuse. Wow. And, and this is interesting. I just want to I'm, I'm, hang in here with me because a lot of times we hear people ask questions about what, what, what about people who haven't heard? And I, I, obviously Paul is very adamant about us telling and, and speaking literal words. So hey, don't, don't mark me off as a heretic yet. Listen, we have to preach the gospel. Yes, we understand that. And people say, well, what about somebody who hasn't heard? the gospel what about the person on the the island somewhere and they've never heard of jesus and people love to distract by that right but but bringing it back to this one thing we do know is that there is a voice that has gone out into all the world uninhibited by any lack of human ingenuity to travel and it is 
creation. And no matter where a created being is, they have a witness, an irrefutable witness to all the attributes of God. That They look and they see nature, and you can't help but see nature, a care going on in nature. The sparrow doesn't fall from the sky without God knowing it. He feeds the animals. He clothes the lilies of the valleys. There's his mercy, his grace, his provision. The intricacy of the universe, the night skies, and the, and the earth, and how it works together flawlessly points us to a designer with, with wisdom and infinite knowledge, a sustainer. That witness alone causes, should cause, the heart of the created being to long for and to seek after that creator, to, to long to know them. And here's why I bring that up. You say, well, that doesn't answer the question. How does the person come to know Jesus who's on an island and there's no missionaries or preachers? I'm telling you, listen. There is this initial preaching that is powerful. The Bible's saying this. I'm not saying this. The psalmist said it, and then Paul reiterated it in Romans. That, every, that, that, that what a person needs to know about God is plain to them in creation. That that witness is sufficient to break the heart of a stubborn, prideful sinner and realize they are not the center of the universe. There's something bigger and greater. And I should bow before him and seek him and worship him. Now here's where the sovereignty of God comes in. What does he say? Those who seek me will find me. We understand the sovereignty of God. There will never be somebody. And this is just a simple answer to the big complex question of how do people hear. We, are, we believe in the sovereignty that, that God who created all things and that when he witnesses and when that witness is perceived in the heart of someone and they, they bow the knee to creation and they long to know God, he will be sure that they see the full revelation of the gospel. He is sovereign. This is why he commands to preach and to tell everybody everywhere about Jesus Christ. He's using that. He's chosen to use the foolishness of preaching, the foolishness of, of you and I to be faithful to him to declare that full message. And there are accounts. Again, this is, this is, how we, this is the only answer I have. God is sovereign. He will save those who seek him. And I'm, I'm not going to some universalism here, by the way. I'm not just saying, oh, they're sincere and they're looking for God, so whoever, whatever they believe, they're going to be saved. I'm not saying that. He says that we must put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And how will they hear without a preacher? That's all there. But the beginning of that sermon is preached when somebody hears creation telling them you must submit to God and you must seek him. And then God will make sure that we hear the gospel. How? There's plenty of accounts of missionary pilots who have been taking someone to a certain island. They're off by a degree, whether weather, whether bad navigation. And in flying, you understand how aviation, if you're off by one degree over hundreds of miles, you're off by a lot. And these planes have actually spotted a place where they had to land and get fuel. It shows up out of nowhere. Here's an island. They land. And in that place is a village of people who are seeking God. And here's a missionary to tell them the gospel. I mean, God is sovereign. He is sovereign. He will be sure that his word is there. He will call his sheep. They will be saved. But the bottom line is this. The whole purpose that I'm saying here is we have to understand, though, there is an, an irrefutable message that the whole world is hearing every day being preached by the loudest megaphone on, uh, on earth, in the universe. It's the universe itself declaring the holiness of God. Now, Paul, Paul doesn't just stop there. Again, I, I think that's a picture of how the gospel is going into all the world. 
using nature itself to show that this is proclaimed worldwide and universe-wide. But Paul also realizes he's writing to the Jewish people that he knows, the people of his day, his contemporaries. He, he, he is totally aware of the fact that, that he himself has endured multiple missionary journeys throughout Judea and Asia Minor, and he has preached the gospel to the Jews of that known world wherever they may be. He, he has specifically, specifically gone into the synagogues of every town that he ever entered on all these mission trips, all, even into Spain. I mean, all the places he was wanting to go and the gospel is gone. And by the way, he knows it's not just him, but as the church grows and as people are going out and being witnesses, preaching the gospel, that it's multitudes, right, are hearing the truth. So literally, he has explained in synagogues, especially to his Jewish brothers and sisters, how Jesus fulfills the prophecies of the Messiah in their Old Testament. His point here, folks, is they have heard. They've heard. And our point, to a lesser degree, is this. Every human being in this world, though they may not have heard a tremendously exposited layout of the gospel has heard enough to know their need of repentance before a holy God of the universe. And we are to continue to herald that message. But number two, he asks another question. Okay, so they've heard. He establishes the Jewish people that I'm writing to, I know they've heard. They've heard. So that's not the issue. Well, then his next question, verse 19. But I ask, did Israel not understand? They heard, but they must not have understood. <laughs> and the gospel is almost like that, right? The, the truth is, if, if you hear the gospel and you don't believe it, then the truth is you didn't understand it. You didn't fully understand. And we understand that that's the case because the natural man does not receive the things of God without the Holy Spirit breaking their heart. So, of course, the natural response of a man will be, I don't quite understand, even though the message is pretty cut and dry. We're sinners. God is holy we are under his wrath. There's no hope. Christ, while we were yet sinners, lived the perfect life for us, died on the cross, and will give us eternal life if we believe. Sounds pretty cut and dry, but again, without the Holy Spirit of God breaking into a heart, it's not understood. So Paul does ask a good question here. Did my Jewish brothers and sisters who I've, I've preached this to un not understand? Is that why they don't believe? They just don't understand it. But again, as he did before, he, uh, he answers quickly before you know, uh, allowing somebody else to answer. And look what he says in verse 19. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Very interesting quotation here. He's talking about, of course, this prophecy of the Old Testament telling that, hey, there will be those who were not my people, obviously Israel being the people of God in the Old Testament, chosen people of God, the Gentiles, not the chosen people of God, but God has prophesied, I'm going to make you jealous by having a people who weren't a people become a people. They will listen to me. But look what he uses. Here's the real word that, that we've got to key in on of what Paul is saying here, the word foolish. I'm going to make you jealous with a foolish nation. And that's important. We get that word there. Asunetos, asunetos is, is, that, is that word for foolish, literally means without understanding. So here's what Paul's saying. God's going to make you jealous with a nation who doesn't understand. Oh, wait a minute. As compared to what? As compared to the nation that does understand. Do you see that? That's what Paul's saying here. You do understand. You've heard. 
and you understand. As a matter of fact, those who don't understand anything at all, they're going to come. And God's going to make you jealous by this nation. All of that implies the fact that he's trying to tell his, his brothers and sisters, you guys had knowledge. You even had understanding. You knew these things. Even from the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah, and then during the life of Christ, and then during all of my visits where I preached to you in the synagogues, you do understand. You hear it and you get the concept. But here it is. Why don't they believe? They heard. Paul says you understood. But you did not like what you heard. <laughs> you heard it, you understood it, but you didn't like it. This is a very simple message today. We're almost done, by the way. So be ready. This is, a, this is straightforward, folks, but look, I want us to get this. They heard. They even understood. They didn't like it. Again, we've got to remember with salvation, is, I mean, with the idea of people being saved as a result of hearing the gospel, as we preach the gospel, we wonder why people aren't listening, why people aren't responding, right? Understand this, folks. There is nothing faulty about the message. There's nothing faulty about the gospel. It's this. It can be heard, it can be understood, but the bottom line is the sinful heart doesn't like it. And that's what Paul's getting to here. Why don't they believe? And we can generalize this out and say, why don't people believe? Why don't people believe the gospel? And the answer is simple. They don't want to. There you go. Wow. What a deep theological uh, class this has been today, right? Why don't people believe the gospel? They don't want to. But this is truth, folks. We're going to get this. This is what Paul is laying out for us. Then he goes further in verse 20, and he says, then Isaiah, so he quotes Moses, and now he quotes Isaiah, and he says, then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. Well, there's a lot there. One of the things God is doing here through Paul is he's displaying his grace and mercy this is it, that God shows himself to those who don't want him. What? Wow, huge. <laughs> this is amazing. I, I have shown my grace to a people who weren't even looking for me. Again, implying in that quote, you guys were looking for me. Israel of the Old Testament with your prophets and your feasts, your Passover feast with the empty chair waiting on the Messiah, looking forward to this, all those different rituals and festivals that were pointing to a Messiah, all of the prophets, you were looking for me and you don't like me. That's really the bottom line. You don't like the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. But there's people that weren't looking for him. They wanted nothing to do with him. They were pagans. And yet, they have come to him. And he's revealed himself to those people who weren't even looking for him. Really, the bottom line of this also for us is this truth that the Bible is plain about. All those who come to me, I will not turn away. 
That is Bible, folks. Anyone who comes to Christ by faith will not be turned away. And so, so <laughs> there's a lot here. We're not done. I was kind of kidding back there when I said we're done almost. We're, we're not. <laughs> so now let's go to verse 21 here. Look at, look at this. So, so, so just to sum it up, just to make sure we're following here and tracking along here with, with Paul. Did you not hear? Is that why you don't believe? Did you not hear the gospel? Oh, no, I know you did. I know you heard. Never mind. That was rhetorical. Did you not understand it? No, that was rhetorical. Too. I know you understood. The Bible even says you understood. And here's where he goes on to accuse them now and say, you just don't like it. You don't want it. It's on you. Verse 20. Then, I'm sorry, verse 21. But of Israel, he says, now this is God saying, okay, this nation that didn't seek me, I reveal myself to them and they humbly trusted me. But of Israel, he says, when they heard the message, he says, all the day long I have held up my hands to you. So we know those pictures, right? Jesus said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have taken you like a mother chick takes her babies and, and hides, her, hides them under her wing. But what did he go on to say? But you will not come unto me. So God is showing in, through Paul his mercy, his extended hands. He said, I've, I've, all the day long, I have held out my hands to you. And again, we have to remind ourselves as Reformed people that this is Bible truth. <laughs> Just as true as chapters 8 and 9 where we see God's elective grace in salvation predestined from the foundation of the world, this is also true that he holds out his hand saying, all who believe shall be saved. Come unto me that you might have life and I will give you rest. That's there. And this is it. But notice the answer. Notice the thing here. All day long I've held up my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. There's the answer, Paul says. You are disobedient, you're rebellious, you're prideful, you're arrogant, you're contrary. The reason you're not believing the gospel is because of you. <laughs> your pride, your arrogance, your hard-heartedness. Oh, wow, here we go. What a, what a way to, to, to culminate chapters 8, 9, and 10 here. Whee! Here we go. You ready to synthesize this? This is, this is glorious. Paul's, Paul, Paul says this. I'm going to just say it all again, so bear with me. Be patient. Just say he's getting old. We love him. The reason you have not obeyed the gospel is not because you haven't heard it. It's not because you haven't understood it. It's because you are stubborn. And I want to hit this because it's easy for us right this minute to team up on those Jewish people and say, you dumb-dumbs. Man, you guys are idiots. We are really enlightened over here at Grace Covenant. We do believe. You know what, folks? We've got to stop a minute. Got to get rid of all that. And we've got to jump in to the bus with the Israelites because this is us as well, folks. We, do, do you do everything that God's word tells you to do? Are you obeying God right now in every area of your life? Are you obeying every command of God 
perfectly right now? No, we are not because we are a contrary people. We are still stubborn people. We still allow our bitterness to well up within us. Just like James says, why do we have disunity among ourselves? Because of the striving inside, that war, those desires that are at war within us. We want and we cannot have, so we fight. Our sin wells up and we say, well, I want that. I want to do this or I want to, my way. I want to win this argument. Whatever. Our, we're, folks, we need God's grace. And, and thank God he gives grace. He gives more grace. Grace is sufficient every day. Thank the Lord. But we must remind ourselves, believing is not some button that we stick on ourselves and say, I believed. I asked Jesus into my heart as a seven-year-old at camp, and I, here I am. I got that, and that's good. No, folks, again, this faith in the gospel, this believing the message of the gospel as Luther says, a daily thing. We are constantly repenting and trusting the gospel. We are constantly admitting that without Christ, we're hopeless daily. Minute by minute, I must rely on the grace of God and beg him for forgiveness as we did a moment ago. Lord, we know you forgave us of all our sins, but what is it when we ask him to forgive us? We acknowledge that we're sinners and we acknowledge that without his grace, we are nothing. So we confess that to him as we confess our sins. We need Christ. We need your patience, Lord, with us. We need you to show mercy to us. Now, in conclusion, for the second time, here's, here's what I want to do as we kind of synthesize chapters 8, 9, and 10 of Romans. Deep chapters. Contradictory messages. Contradictory messages, some would say. Here's, here's what it says, basically, in those three chapters. We are all responsible to believe the good news of the gospel. That's the first thing, right? Every human being on planet Earth that's ever lived is responsible to believe the good news of the gospel. Number two, we learn that we are all stubborn, contrary, disobedient people who refuse to believe that message. So there's the conundrum, right? <laughs> We're all responsible to submit to God and believe the gospel, and we all refuse in our natural, rebellious, prideful state to do so. I just remember this, man. Todd Portoon, who many of us knew here, and just to watch God's, if you knew anything about politics, you knew Todd Portoon. Um, and, man, just through the 10 years that I knew him before he died, God had brought him here to our church. Uh, we passed out flyers one day. What, what do you know? Out of all the 10,000 flyers we passed out, one guy shows up. It's Todd Fortoon. Anyway, I began a Bible study with him. He slowly began to, to we, and the first book we studied was the book of Romans. And then I began to study him before I began to know him, his past, and I was freaking out. I mean, he was, he was tantamount. He was the attorney for the partial birth uh, abortion doctor. He pushed and helped win cases to promote abortion to, to nth degrees. Uh, he, he introduced Pride Day in Cincinnati. I was watching all these things. I'm like, huh, here we go. Going to have a good time, right? What, have, what has happened here? What am I into? And yet, uh, he, I said, do you want to have a Bible study? Yeah, sure, let's do that. 
Because the first thing he said the first time he visited, he said, I'm searching, I'm empty, I need something. Wow, what do you know? And so we started a Bible study, Bob Evans, on Thursday mornings. And I said, I had an idea where I wanted to go, especially after seeing some of the stuff. Um, and I said, uh, what, what book would you like to study? He said, let's do Romans. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> Very nice choice, right? And we, and we began, by God's grace, to go through Romans. And the thing about Romans is it starts with Romans chapter 1. <laughs> and Romans chapter 1 doesn't mess around with things. But here's the glorious thing. As weeks go by, we're just, just looking at God's Word and, and, and always taking the opportunity to show again the grace of Christ, the, the work of Christ for us, and, and so forth. Through time, his heart changed. I mean, I never forget when we finally get to the scary parts, right, where I thought, well, we're going to have all kinds of battles. He looked up at, at, at me and he said, you know what, it looks like God says that homosexuality is not his plan. Really? Does he say that? Let's, let's make sure about that. I just want to make sure you know. But that's kind of what was going on. And from there on, just everything about, uh, uh, about faith was revealed to him. And here's, I know this is a lengthy story, but what I'm showing you is, is the power of the gospel and why we should never grow weary in the command to continue to preach it, as Paul said. How will they believe unless somebody tells them? And it's our job not to save them. We're not the sovereign God, but it is our job to tell them about Christ. But here's what, here's what he said one day. Uh, this may have been years into our studies, but here's what he said. He said, you know what? You know why people do not come to Christ? He said, it's because of their arrogance and pride. This would come from Todd Fortune, which was glorious. It showed again. He understood exactly what Paul's saying. This is, this is all that Paul's saying. I just stuck with me. I just looked at it. This is it. That, that, obviously, we know that's true. But it's so glorious when the gospel breaks into our stubborn hearts and tells us that, and we see it, and we understand, yes, I am a proud, arrogant, stubborn person. I need God's grace. And so here's why I say that. We are all responsible to believe the good news, but we're all too stubborn to believe that good news. But here's the third thing we learned from these three chapters. God, in his grace, chooses to intervene in our stubborn hearts. And save his elect, as we saw in chapters 9 and 8. We saw it here in verse 20. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you do show yourself to those who are not looking or even who want you. And folks, here as we, again, wrap this up, <laughs> I think this sermon will be known as the wrap-up sermon, the sermon that from <laughs> point one to point Z was wrap-up. But again, I just have to say, you know, though, though I don't understand how to explain it, these two statements are both true. So here's what we have to understand. In these three chapters, 8, 9, and 10, we have to look at this and be honest. These two statements are both true. Number one, if I believe on Jesus Christ and am gloriously forgiven of my sin and made righteous, it is solely because God graciously intervened in my heart and to him alone belongs all the praise. That's a true statement. Does everybody agree with that? This is also a true statement. If I refuse to believe on Jesus Christ and I die in my sins and face the eternal wrath, it is solely because of my stubborn heart and to me alone belongs all the blame. 
Now, even though those terms seem totally contradictory, they are both truth, 100% true. And this is what we see, this balance of Romans 8, 9, and 10, as we see the deep, eternal part of God being sovereign in our salvation, the beginner and the finisher of it all, and man's responsibility to believe. I'm going to close with our associate pastor, Charles Spurgeon, who are you joking to say, but he just, this is a great quote. That God predestines and that man is responsible are two things that few can see. They are believed to be inconsistent and contradictory, but they're not. It is just the fault of our weak understanding. And again, it takes humility to hear that as a human being. And by God's grace, he gives some the ability to say, you're right. Lord, I could never see this without you. Thank you for your grace. And here's what I want to say. The message of the gospel is so plain. And you would think, why aren't, why aren't people knocking our doors down to get in here? Why, why not every church in, in Western Hills packed to the brim with people receiving the good news of everlasting life, forgiveness, peace with God? Because there's a point that it is hard to understand, but there's also this glorious grace where if we become his children and just hear the Lord and receive that message, he saves us, right? And, and, and what he's given the church is this. We are to proclaim that message, and we are to make it as simple as we can and trust the Holy Spirit to do the work. What I'm asking you to do, some, someone sitting here, is to, to take advantage of this means of grace God's given us, another form of preaching, a little object lesson he's given us called the Lord's Supper. And every week, the church proclaims an object form that good news of the gospel and, and what jesus is simply saying by his grace and by his spirit i pray that you'll understand this jesus took bread he said this is my body broken for you he he used this for his own disciples and now for all of his church to be reminded every week believe this simple message, my salvation is not of me. It's, it's all wrapped up in what Christ did for me. His body was broken. He said, as often as you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of what I did for you. And then he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This is your means of life. This is your sustenance. My righteousness poured out over you. As often as you drink this, do it in remembrance of me. So as a church, this is what we do. We remind ourselves of the grace of God in our lives. And we look and we see this message preached again. And we affirm it together as the body of Christ as we preach it to one another at the table as we fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ.